I've read this gospel many times, but this week is the first time that I've read it and thought, we live in a very lonely world. We live in a very lonely world. I'll take you onto the roller coaster of uh, my mind to have come to this conclusion. But to know this, to come to this conclusion, we have to look at how Jesus says if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Immediately when we think of that, we think, okay, so if someone doesn't listen to me, they don't listen to the two people that I bring, they don't listen to the church, just get rid of them. Treat them as a Gentile or tax collector. Don't treat them with any respect. Don't pay them any mind. Treat them as an outcast. But who is writing this gospel but a former tax collector? Matthew. Matthew is one who was treated as a tax collector by Jesus, but treated as a tax collector was evangelized, was loved. But one thing that is ingredient in treating someone as a Gentile or a tax collector is that though they are evangelized and though they are loved, they are not trusted as a brother is trusted. What Jesus is saying is treat them no longer as a brother if, you, if they will not listen to your challenge. But treat them as a Gentile or tax collector. Be loving and evangelize when you can. So why do we live in such a lonely world then? Because we live in a world where we can be kind to everyone. We can evangelize in spots, sure, but we're generally kind to everyone, but we trust almost no one, or possibly we trust no one. The, this is for, I think, at least two reasons, one big, one small. One, we would say that our society, on a macro level, on a big level, is pluralistic. There are many different values, many different systems of belief, and even within those formal systems of belief, everyone has kind of got their own custom-fit belief in God. It's as if that there's no brotherhood amongst the faithful, but rather everyone treats themselves as God's only child. And because of this, I can go to Red's, for instance, be standing next to someone and have no idea who they are, have no idea what they value. And so the general thing, why I would treat them, is kind, maybe evangelize in a spot if it happened to present itself, but there certainly wouldn't be this kind of trust, this kind of, as Jesus says, neighborliness. It's hard to love one's neighbor whenever one does not have any idea what their neighbor is about. Pluralism is a big problem on a macro level. On a micro level, there is generally just a lack of fatherhood. I grew up in a very disciplined household, and I have a good friend of mine that I went to college with who is very fun free guy, just fun-loving free spirit, 
And upon asking him one day about his just growing up, he said that he basically resented and hated his father. And I was curious, I was like, man, he must have had a rough childhood. But his biological father was a non-present alcoholic, and his stepfather was someone who came into the family when he was around 10 and never felt like he could actually father him, never felt like he could actually challenge him. And so because of that, remained disinterested. On a smaller level, it's maybe because of a lack of fatherhood. And so why we have to invite challenge, why we have to invite correction into our lives in order to experience brotherhood, in order to escape this cultural loneliness that we feel, is because the idea that we can love someone and delight in them without ever correcting them is a Christian myth. The idea that we can love someone, delight in them, without ever having to correct them is a Christian myth. Because this is certainly not the Jesus Christ that is seen in the Gospels. To who, as we saw uh, as we saw just a couple of weeks ago, the person who he corrects most is the one he entrusts with most, Peter. He now tells the disciples how to correct as he's leaving his disciples the church. Jesus is constantly correcting the Pharisees, and it's precisely because he loves them. Because the reason is that evil exists in the world. If I know that evil exists within me and no one ever corrects me on it, then I'm not going to trust that person. Why wouldn't they help me? Why wouldn't they say something? Why wouldn't they make a move? But what ends up happening is if we do not correct, then we form a society of distrust because we cannot tolerate evil long. If someone decides, I'll give you an example. There's this, uh, there's this TV show where the character Larry David is what is called a social assassin. As a social assassin, he does all of these very like peculiar things to carry out, like, I don't know, he, he wants to, people want him to correct other people's quirks. So, for instance, there's a daughter who cannot stand that every time that her mother takes a sip of water afterwards, she says, drives crazy. There's a boyfriend who every time that her girlfriend thinks something is funny, she just says, LOL. Drives him nuts. And so Larry David is this hired hand to go and correct what ends up happening. Now, as everything as Larry David or Jerry Seinfeld an ends in a disaster, but that's because the people who are corrected get paranoid. And they say, wait, have you been talking about this? Have you been talking about behind my back? The, the moral point of this uh, analogy is we cannot bear evil long. 
if we don't correct the person that's committing the evil, then we talk to other people about it. The gospel, according to Matthew, does not say, if your brother sins against you, shut your mouth, find a close friend, bicker about it, and then let it blow up in their face at a later date. That's not what Jesus says. Evil, regardless, has to be dealt with. And the way that it is dealt with is through challenge and through fraternal correction. Otherwise, we form a society very unlike the society Jesus talks about, and a very common one. I want you to pay attention to this gospel, how easy it is to enter this society, the church, and how hard it is to leave. Easy, because Jesus is going around with his disciples, preaching to all of Galilee, and saying, repent now for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's easy to come in. It takes on disciples. But it's very hard to leave. You have to be corrected once, you have to be corrected twice, you have to be corrected three times, and then treated as a Gentile or tax collector. But now our societies are the opposite. Our friend groups are very hard to get into, and upon committing a sin, we can be canceled. You can leave very easily. And so the reason why we're so hesitant to receive fraternal correction is because we have that kind of expulsatory mentality built in. If someone's going to correct us, then they're going to kick us out, rather than a correction that leads to charity. And so I just want to leave with two thoughts about receiving and giving correction. First, upon receiving correction. We do not want to live in a world that is seemingly hostile to us, where we feel like people are talking behind our backs all the time. And so the only way that we can form this like microcosm, this world that I can live in, is to allow those close to me to be able to correct me. Otherwise, I am aware of my sin, I try to make sure that no one else is aware of my sin, and so I'm going to live in a very paranoid manner. And I'm not going to feel safe, and I'm not going to have the vulnerability required for the charity that Jesus calls me to. And so to allow ourselves to be corrected, even if the correction comes cruelly, if it is honest, it is salvific. It is good. And in regards to giving correction, the last thought, that Jesus tells us to give correction to our brother. A brother is a man who comes from the same place. He comes from the same father. A brother is a man who walks alongside his other brother. He is with his brother in the same journey. And a brother is a man whose strengths we know, but also whose weaknesses we know, because we've been around them for a long time. A brother cannot hide his weaknesses, and his shortcomings from the other. This mentality is required in Christian brotherhood, that we come from the same stock of Adam. We are all sinners. We are going to the same place, to the same Father, and that we know each other's particular weaknesses. And so in conclusion, to have this mentality of trust, It doesn't mean that we have to walk around with 
a complaint box converted from a tissue box hanging from our neck and saying, just bring it on. I want to hear all the worst things. But as Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. That what this takes is at least a few, and at least a few that are close, that I am able to challenge and that I am able to be challenged by so that we can experience the brotherhood that Jesus wants us to, be united to our Father, and not be only children of God, and to overcome the societal loneliness that has become an enemy of the church in the world.